0: Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Boll, Director of Public Affairs, and joining us today for this special episode is Herb Kuhn, who is the CEO of the Missouri Hospital Association. Herb, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, Eric. Great to be with you. Well, we've been working a lot with you over the past year or so uh, on a lot of different issues relating to rural health care. And it's good that we developed that relationship beforehand because we're certainly seeing the need uh, as this COVID-19 pandemic arises. Uh, But why don't we back up and start a little bit uh, telling about what the Missouri Hospital Association is and um, who the members are.
1: Sure. Thank you, Eric. So the Missouri Hospital Association is an organization that will be celebrating its centennial in about two years. So we've been around uh, for a century in the state of Missouri, and we represent all hospitals across the state, whether that's urban or rural or psychiatric hospitals, uh, just the full gamut, you know, children's hospitals, the full gamut of hospitals across the state. So we provide a lot of services to our members, whether it's advocacy, whether it's data, education, education. Um, uh, just a whole variety of, of services that we're engaged day-to-day with our hospitals as we go forward. About 140 hospitals across the state are, are members. Uh, every hospital in the state is a member right now. And uh, a nice mix of uh, of a variety, like I said, urban, rural, uh, and many of the others. So that's kind of the makeup of us as an organization and what we're all about.
0: Yeah, and the rural hospitals, of course, are very important to a lot of our members. And I know there's been a lot of issues over the past few years of losing some of those, some of them going out of business. How how many rural hospitals are part of your uh, association? How many do we have left in Missouri? And what's kind of been that trajectory over the past few years?
1: Sure. We're about 70 of the hospitals in the state are rural. And sadly, we've had about 15 hospital closures in Missouri since 2014. And 10 of those have been in the rural parts of the state so recent studies that have come out by the university of north carolina put missouri in the top five of states across the nation in terms of rural hospitals at risk so we're not only we are a little bit higher at risk we also have had a a, a significant number of, of rural hospitals close and those of your listeners and those of your members who who are in those communities that have lost a hospital they know what that's that's all about um, It creates a huge medical desert in a community. It's a loss sometimes of the largest employer in the community. And uh, you lose a lot of important professionals out of those communities as that happens. Um, But even without some of those closures, we're starting to see as a result of some of the financial challenges with hospitals, more and more of these rural hospitals, um, stopping or eliminating certain services. And one of the ones that's most problematic is labor and delivery. Um, fewer and fewer of these rural real hospitals, um, are able to sustain that kind of business line and, if you really want to add to a rural community, you want to think about families and growth of families, and the fact that you can't deliver children in those communities makes it really tough for us. So that's kind of what we're seeing in some of the trajectory of rural hospitals across the state of Missouri.
0: Yeah, well, and it, like you say, it's been a tough situation for many years. It uh, wasn't didn't begin with this COVID nineteen epidemic, pandemic, I should say. Um, it was a lot of these hospitals were already operating on a razor thin margin before that happened, but. Uh, why don't you tell us a little about how the the COVID-19 pandemic has then affected these hospitals, especially the rural hospitals that were struggling before this happened. Um, what's made it so much more impactful on them?
1: The biggest challenge for both the rural hospitals and a lot of the urban hospitals as well is almost the complete shutdown of elective procedures that occurred two to three weeks ago. So it was important across the country to stop providing elective procedures. And the reason is you wanted to preserve uh, really scrace the really scarce personal protective equipment. And if you're doing a lot of elective procedures, you're burning through some of that equipment that's out there. Also, it went hand in hand with kind of the social distancing that we're practicing in this country now, and you didn't want to have all that close contact with individuals. So hospitals that are running on low cash reserves, um, difficulty with liquidity all of a sudden their single largest source of revenue stopped i mean it stopped like you put on the brakes immediately Mm -hmm. Uh, it was done and so that that really added to the angst and the challenge of of rural hospitals across the country And have put some in kind of in a tailspin because now they're thinking, okay, how do we make payroll? How do we make this next expense that's coming forward? How do we allocate between our various vendors as we go forward? So really hitting the hard brakes on elective procedures, um, which is typically for every hospital across the country, but particularly hard hit for the rural hospitals because they have lower volumes. And getting those kind of um, revenues through the door are essential for their survival. Those have been cut off completely.
0: Yeah. And we've heard from a number of those providers about just how hard that's been and, and made it almost impossible to continue operating. Um, and, you know, we need to have them open in case, it, well, for the the time when the pandemic does arrive at the, some of those rural areas, which has probably already happened um, in most places around Missouri, they need to be able to care for the patients um, that, that they have in the communities. And uh, if, you, if your hospital isn't open, it can't really care for anybody. Um, so
1: that, that's right. And, you know, and that's what makes it so difficult about here because a typical business, what they would do, and, and we're seeing it, you know, in the restaurant and we're seeing it in entertainment and everything else. When people have hit this breaks of, of social distancing, um, they've been furloughing staff and, and doing everything they can to shed costs. Uh, but in healthcare, you can't do that because the minute you start those furloughs, you start that activity, you start to degrade the ability to provide that level of care that we need Um, all across the state, but in particularly rural areas, not only for the COVID-19 patients, but for general emergencies or, or challenges that people might have day to day as you go forward. So losing that that staff um, is just the very last thing that hospitals want to do. So they're all deploying whatever strategies they can to hang on as long as they can until additional federal assistance or state assistance arise to kind of build them a bridge to go forward. Because it's so critical that we cannot degrade that that important healthcare infrastructure in this state.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the um, the assistance that is potentially coming, um, hopefully very soon. Uh, both on the state and federal level. What are we looking at there uh, coming in to maybe help out with the situation so that hospitals aren't in such a dire situation?
1: Yeah, so a couple of important things occurred. Congress, as we all saw about here a week and and a half ago, uh, adopted uh, what's known as the CARES Act. Um, We here internally call it the COVID-3 bill because (laughs) they passed two more before that. But this was a big one. And it, it really did target some things at, at healthcare facilities to help them continue to move forward. For example, uh, Medicare patients that are also COVID patients, they boosted that payment by 20%. Uh, they put a delay on some pending reductions dealing with some Medicaid issues that are coming forward. They provided much better access and payment for telemedicine uh, or or virtual visits that can go forward. There was also a temporary suspension of this uh, Medicare sequestration. Congress put in place a few years ago a, a straight 2% across the board cut on all Medicare payments, and they restored those. But the big one, the really big one that they're waiting to see how it's going to happen, is they put a $100 billion in a financial assistance package to healthcare providers, To ensure that those providers continue to receive support during the downturn for the COVID-19 activity. What we don't yet know is how that money is going to be distributed and how fast it's going to be coming to states and communities. So, um, That one is still the unknown, but that's the big one that we hopefully will buy us uh, weeks, if not months, of additional assistance, but that's the one we just don't know. So Congress has acted, and I will give a a really big hat tip to both Senator Blunt and uh, Senator Hawley, who have been very helpful uh, in working on this package to help hospitals out there across the state. But um, it's the first tranche, and uh, uh, Congress is already talking about coming back to do a, a yeah, another type of CARES Act or a COVID 4 bill. Um, I think sadly we're going to need additional assistance for hospitals uh, to continue through this effort because of just that hard stop and all these elective procedures we're seeing across the country.
0: Well, and I was going to ask about that because I just was hearing a news report a little while ago that uh, it sounds like the Senate may end up going back tomorrow or day after tomorrow on Thursday um, to try to put more money into a relief. Package maybe um, beefing up the portion that goes towards small businesses directly, but is is the hospital funding situation um, something that they're considering to to take that quick of action on and do more to to benefit them in the, this next package maybe later this week even.
1: Yeah, you're right about that package. And we don't yet know whether there's going to be some additional hospital or health care provisions in there. Everything I've heard, like you, is everything's focused on that small business uh, effort. Mm -hmm. But that could be important for hospitals, too, because the effort there is that if you don't furlough your employees and you keep them in place, there's an opportunity for you to receive some federal assistance as part of that. And so that could, you know, if there, I think we get to look at this as kind of a patchwork quilt, that there's going to be a lot of little different pools and pockets of money that could come in to help hospitals, and that could be one as well. One of the things that we hope to, to hopefully get fixed as part of that is that um, it was an unintended consequence of when Congress tries to move very fast with legislation. Um, One of the things that they did not make eligible for that SBA assistance was uh, government entities. Well, in Missouri, the way we have organized a lot of hospitals across the state and predominantly a large lot of our rural hospitals across the state are organized uh, under Missouri state law as kind of uh, county or, or community hospitals. And so they are kind of a quasi government entity. So for some of the assistance that came through the CARES Act or this COVID-3 bill, as I called it, um, some of our rural hospitals are not eligible for that assistance. We don't think that was congressional intent. We think it was an unintended consequences. But that's one of the things we've got to go back and tinker with and get fixed as well.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting that, like you say, that is just one of the inevitable things that happens when you pass a bill in a matter of a couple of days, uh, and even doing it by voice vote in the House. Uh, it's pretty tough to root out all the problems with it and make sure you didn't unintentionally wrap someone up into a provision that you meant to help. So um, I I noticed that um, you've been obviously in, in close contact with the senators and the representatives, in Missouri's congressional delegation, but also doing some things to assist um, with the federal agencies that have oversight over some of the funds. And um, there's a letter that we worked on with you together uh, that went to the USDA to um, ask for some lenience on how they treat some rural hospitals that have loans. Can you give us some insight into what exactly that issue was about?
1: Sure. As I mentioned before, there's no single one program that's going to help our rural hospitals across the state. It's going to be multiple programs, and I really want to commend Farm Bureau, uh, both uh, Blake Hurst and Dan Cassidy and BJ Tanksley and, and Leslie Holloway, all of your team, reached out to us early and said, we're concerned about what's going to happen in rural America and rural Missouri, and particularly with our hospitals. Anything that we can do to help to be part of the effort to to help stabilize and make sure these organizations get through this, and and we come out on the other side in great shape. And so one of the things that we identified early is the USDA loan programs. And uh, hospitals are an eligible entity for financing under USDA, and we've got probably between 10 and 20 rural hospitals in the state of Missouri that have availed themselves of that financing package, both in terms of direct loans as well as guaranteed loans through a a local or area bank. So we uh, were joined with um, Missouri Farm Bureau and did a letter to USDA requesting that they provide deferments to those loans. That's cash, then the hospitals could keep uh, in hand. It's something that they could use for salaries and and continue to try to maintain operations. So that was a great early partnership, and USDA granted our request and came back and did a deferment on those loans. But as we dug into a little bit further, what we found is that USDA only had about 50% of the authority we wanted them to have. Hmm. They could only do the deferments on the uh, guaranteed loans uh, or I'm sorry, on, yeah, on the guarantee loans and not on the direct loans uh, that they have that authority of. And some of the hospitals have those those direct loans from USDA. Mm-hmm. So um, we, we convened a call. Again, Missouri Farm Bureau knows all the people at USDA. The hospitals don't. Uh, convened a call with USDA officials, both in Washington and regionally. Had a great call with them last week. Got some additional clarification, which gave us then the platform to send yet a second letter to USDA to make some requests that's out there. I will tell you that that letter or those two letters have gotten into the hands of the American Hospital Association, our national organization, and they're using that model that we pioneered here in Missouri with Missouri Farm Bureau and Missouri Hospital Association to help to do some national advocacy on that, way, uh, on that effort as well. So okay. the early outreach by Missouri Farm Bureau has been extraordinarily helpful uh, in this one area uh, of assistance that we're trying to achieve for hospitals.
0: Well, that's that's very good to hear, and um, like I said at the beginning, I think it's uh, pays dividends to develop relationships before you need them, because then when you really do, you already know who to call, and uh, it's been helpful to, to develop that relationship with you all.
1: Yeah, and there's been other things where we've worked with you on healthcare, whether it's trying to get work for advanced practice registered nurses, whether it's been... Um, uh, urgent care in, in, in rural areas, a variety of different things, and all those things that we've worked on in the past are also things that we're seeking waivers from the state, and that's been a very, very helpful effort as well. So all that's been been a great partnership, and we are very grateful for your help.
0: Well, very mutually beneficial for our members. Um, there are a lot of things that are also being discussed and trying to beef up the ability of doctors to uh, provide care or any medical providers to, to give care uh, to rural areas without having to physically be there. Uh, a lot of uh, efforts re- relating to telemedicine. What can you tell us about um, the, the efforts that people are making on those lines?
1: Yeah, so telemedicine has been a, an initiative that's, that's been in play for, uh, for over a decade now. And again, I'm going to give a hat tip to the Missouri Farm Bureau because you folks have been on the front lines really trying to expand broadband across the entire state of Missouri. We need that broadband to have effective uh, telemedicine across the state. So thank you for that, and that's been helpful for us to build our platform to deliver those services. But as the COVID-19 or the coronavirus hit and the COVID-19 started uh, appearing on individuals across this country, the use of telemedicine quickly became an important tool for not only extending the reach of existing workforce, but also it's a and it's an important first line of defense against the coronavirus. So to prevent the spread, particularly with those individuals who are most vulnerable, virtual care provides near immediate access to a clinician without the risk of face-to-face interaction and, and also the use of these scarce personal protective equipment, and these supplies. Mm-hmm. Also, it gives a chance for faster throughput for processing, both uh, for those folks that might be symptomatic as well as the worried well. There's a lot of people who are just very scared, and they want to see a clinician, and uh, telemedicine's a way for someone to talk about it. So immediately, we made some waiver requests here at MHA uh, not only at the federal level for Medicare, but also at the state level for Medicaid and also for the state to work with private commercial insurers if they would provide waivers in this area. And so far it's worked really, really well. Um, both at the federal level as well as the state and, and I'll give Governor Parson and his team a, a great credit for this. Move quickly to make those changes so that those had, who had telemedicine were completely unencumbered in terms of their reach uh, in this area. But those that didn't, that even if they could begin using telephonic conversations with patients, there was an opportunity to do that and to get some kind of reimbursement behind that. So it's an important tool that's got a big surge here as we go forward. What telemedicine is going to look like after the um, COVID-19 issue and we get through this, I don't know. But um, it's been an important tool uh, for everybody's arsenal across the state, and I think will continue to to be there for us. And again, thank you, Farm Bureau for your continued fight on the effort for broadband. it's It's critical for this to continue to grow and flourish across the state of Missouri.
0: Well, it's very important for the future in a lot of different ways. And this is really making that apparent um, to all of us as we all stay home from office jobs and uh, try to get care when people aren't able to be there in person. So that's very helpful. Uh, what What about on the mental health side of things? We've been talking about that a lot in in, in agricultural circles over the past few years that the rural health care issues relating to mental health are pretty immense, um, a, lot, a lot higher incidence of suicide and depression in some rural areas and with the farm economy being bad for the past um, going on seven years now. Uh, there's a lot of people that really need some assistance. What, what can those uh, rural providers give to people who are struggling um, as they go through maybe a loss of a job or uh, a, yet another uh, down, down year in the farm economy?
1: yeah you know that's another great partnership that we've had with farm Bureau um earlier this year we along with the farm bureau um the uh MU extension and several other groups released i think a a just a terrific report where we talked about um mental health and particularly in the farming community across the state with new research that nobody had seen before and a lot of good data analysis really thinking through kind of what the challenges are but importantly to try to kind of demystify and get rid of the stigma that's around this issue Um, and so i think that report started really some some wonderful conversations and some outreach across the state, and then of course then we're hit uh, smack in the face with the coronavirus. And um, it, I won't say that that effort is ground to a halt, I still see emails and, and traffic people trying to, to convene different things, but it was a way to really begin um, a major uh, new outreach and conversation about the need for behavioral health care services because the, the interesting thing is as we know physical healthcare services you can see a cut on someone or you can see it in an x-ray or some kind of scan that something's wrong with you but when you're you're sick in your in in your mind we can't see that and we have to understand that's that's just an illness like everything else and we need to treat it right and deal with the stigma the problem that that report showed us is we have huge medical deserts across the state of Missouri in terms of mental health professionals and practitioners. And so one of the things that had surfaced and one of the things that had started the conversation is how we continue to be able to recruit and retain and build back that capacity across rural Missouri, which we need so so much. But just per our previous conversation, one of the things that report also talked about is the opportunity for... Uh, telemedicine and virtual care and how that can also plug the gaps for us out there so it launched a great conversation one that needs to continue and I think one that needs to continue in earnest here because as we do the social distancing and as people become more isolated we're starting to see more and more national stories now that behavioral health issues are something that's very important and something that's very needed also during this time as well so not only do we need to care for the COVID-19 patients We need to care for those with behavioral health issues, and it's not a time to shrink away from that. It's time to accelerate our efforts, and uh, uh, we think with with this new report out there, it gives us the platform to to continue that conversation and a good roadmap to to move forward.
0: Yeah, certainly so. I think everybody, Uh, Rural areas know somebody that's been affected by these type of things, if not themselves. So we definitely appreciate your attention to that issue. And and I know going forward, we'll have a lot more conversations about it. Um, Last thing I wanted to ask, I guess, is really a lot of what we've talked about today is putting Band-Aids on the current situation to get us through this uh, crisis. What about long-term, though? What do we need to do? What's really the solution um, to some of these longer-term problems of having trouble keeping rural hospitals afloat and providing quality care to uh, uh, people who don't live in a large city? Uh, What are we going to do once this crisis is over? And maybe are there some things that this crisis has brought uh, to the forefront that we didn't realize and maybe solutions we're going to see um, that we might not have seen had it not occurred. Are, do, you, do you know what that path forward looks like?
1: So hopefully that path forward will be the path that we kind of started on before this crisis. And that is about a year ago, Governor Parson held a rural um, health care summit in his hometown of Bolivar. Well attended and began to launch um, a, a conversation across the state. What do we need to retain, to strengthen, and rebuild our rural health care infrastructure in the state of Missouri? right after uh, he did that and on the heels of it we launched an initiative called Reimagine rural health and have been connecting with stakeholders all across the state is how do we reimagine the rural health care system in this state and it's really started some good useful interesting conversations um, with not only state officials but other stakeholders across the state of, of what we need to do next how do we take care of uh, uh, take advantage of, of new federal and state opportunities and how do we be very innovative uh, in the state and uh, and create a world-class rural healthcare system here in the state of Missouri? Those conversations are really starting to pick up in earnest and, and get going. And then, of course, the brakes hit on this thing, and so we had to slow down a little bit. We hope when we come out of this, um, we can re-energize those conversations, continue to bring together those stakeholders to, con- to to move forward. But importantly, I think is the question you asked: What did we learn from this experience and this exercise? And that is just the absolute importance of our rural healthcare system. Um, how important it is, how we need a strong one, not only for our physical health, but for our mental health, and how we need these facilities all across the state. We cannot afford to have medical deserts in the state of Missouri. If the rural communities and our rural way of life are going to continue to flourish, it needs to also have a strong backbone, and that backbone is a strong rural health care system. And uh, the conversations have started. I applaud uh, Governor Parson for beginning those. Um, we hope we can get back to those as soon as possible.
0: Well, that's uh, something we would certainly hope will happen, and we can't lose sight of what we're seeing as problems here now. That Sometimes when it's just in the background, you let it happen and don't really realize what a problem is growing. But when a crisis like this hits, it brings to the forefront uh, of everyone's mind what we really need to be focusing on uh, in the future. So we will continue working on these things together, I know, for many years to come. Well, Herb Kuhn with the Missouri Hospital Association, thank you again for joining us and for all the work that you're doing to help keep rural Missourians safe.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure joining you today.